Amen. Praise the Lord and welcome. I love Sunday mornings. Uh, glad to have you all here. Please welcome. Be seated. Um, yeah, this is our fifth week. We just finished our, our first sermon series on the Gospel is. And it was of first importance. It's by grace alone through faith. It's the life-changing good news. And it's our hope and our peace. And praise God for that. And so today we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, new life in Christ means. And I labored over this for quite a while. Uh, just because there's so much to cover in this. <laughs> and of course we're not going to cover it. We have a long time to go over this. I don't plan on our church going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, we share an excellent building with a, a great congregation that loves us and is glad to have us here. And, and we're glad to be here and we love them in return. And so I just can't imagine us going anywhere. And so even though part of the great issue that, that, that I see in this series and that I need to bring out to all of you is that many people profess being a Christian. Many people will say, oh, I invited Jesus into my heart, and oh, I said the sinner's prayer, and oh, I did this. And then there's no difference. And then there's no life change. There's no any difference in their lives whatsoever. They come, they may come on Sunday mornings, uh, then they go and do what they've normally been doing, and, and there's no sanctification. There's no proof that the Holy Spirit dwells within them and things like that. And so, uh, today we begin, new life in Christ means dying to self and living for Christ. It's, it's very simple. We, we are His. He redeemed us. He bought us back with a, a, a very pricely cost, with His blood and with His life. And if God is who He says He is, and He died for our sins, is there not some type of sacrifice required on our side? And so also, I want to warn you uh, about preaching. <laughs> there is a constant conundrum that we deal with. Uh, law versus grace. If I give you too much law which indeed is holy and righteous and perfect and good, I bring you into condemnation because you can't keep the law. It's impossible for us to keep God's law and His righteous requirement. And that's a lot of what we talked about in the beginning of, of the Gospel series is that we not only do things that are bad, it's what we don't do just the same that uh, makes us sinners because we don't glorify God in the flesh in any stretch of the imagination. So while the law is holy, righteous, and good, if I just gave you the law, it would crush you and defeat you because you can't keep it. Now, on the other end of the spectrum here, hi, Grace. Nice to see you guys. <laughs> they are unmerited favor. They are God's goodness and kindness towards us. They are awesome. They are the mercy and the gift that we as sinners don't deserve from God. But the great challenge is, if I give everyone too much grace, then that's lawlessness. Just the same as if I give you too much law, then that's legalism. And so there's always kind of a dance in between. Because we do have commands to follow. But it is by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to follow these commands that He gives us. And so, um, 
before I dismiss you guys, I know, <laughs> um, I just want you to know and to be aware of that. Absolutely. That the, the law and, and the grace and the truth being in between and, and both parts. And so today and this whole sermon series, you're, you're going to see commands and, and God's way and God's design. And, and again, this is God's way and God's design. It is indeed holy and righteous and good, as is our God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to gather here this morning uh, to be your church, to glorify your name, and to, and to simply be alive in you, God, because you give new life and save us from the death of sin and, and who we are, and, and you change us by your grace and, and your mercy and your love. And so uh, let today be filled with righteousness and peace and joy as is your kingdom and let your message today fall where it may and may you tune our hearts and our minds to your will lord in jesus name we pray amen sorry i didn't dismiss the kids right away i was interested in the uh introduction there so whoops <laughs> welcome all right so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 today. If you want to turn to that, verses 34 to 39. Uh, I just want to give you a little bit of background of where we're at to get up to chapter 10. Because like I said, these are topical sermons. They're still going to be exegetical in nature. We're still going to go verse by verse to understand the meaning and the context. But being topical as it is, we're not, we haven't gone through the first nine chapters to understand where we're at in chapter 10. So... Very simply and very easily, the, the first nine chapters deal all entirely with, with Jesus. Like the, in Matthew chapter 1, it's about the genealogy of Christ and, and the lineage and the Davidic covenant. And Matthew's pointing that uh, Jesus is indeed the Messiah. We see you know, the genealogy, the birth, uh, very early years. Then we see you know, his later years. Then he, he calls the disciples. He gives the Sermon on the Mount. He gives his ministry. He does amazing things. You know, he heals the, the deaf and the blind and the dumb and um, all kinds of miracles. It's all been about Jesus. Until chapter 10 here, and we start to turn the corner. And, and he is sending out his disciples at this moment in time. And, so, and he doesn't paint a pretty picture. Uh, he is a good father. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to tell you the truth. And that's hard for a lot of people to hear the truth, the truth of God's word. And, um, you know, here, here's the thing. If we looked at, uh, you know, early on in chapter 10, uh, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. They're going to put you in courts. They're going to beat you. They're going to flog you. Um, all these things. You drag before governors. Um, you're going to be hated. <laughs> it's the long and, and short story. And by the way, you might die. How great is that? Like, that's not easy truth for people. Yet here is Jesus sending out the disciples, being a good father, or if you will, a good coach, preparing you know, his team to go out and to you know, spread the good news of, of what he's done, who he is, and how the kingdom of God is indeed at hand at this time. And so he's preparing them. And so this is, this is where we're at, and, and we get to a really interesting section here. They tell me it's one of the, the, the five hardest passages to preach. And I'm like, I don't think so, but we'll see. 
<laughs> All right. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. My goodness, right? Like, most people don't hear this kind of Jesus. We kind of have in our culture and our society, which is why so many people are led astray. Uh, I, I take this terminology from a sister in the Lord, uh, a kumbaya type of Jesus. Uh, one where you can just do whatever you want, man. It's totally okay. Which is where the, the grace part falls in and the lawlessness part falls in. Because there's, no, the, the, there's no change of life. He's just, you know, he's just riding around alongside you. He's like, don't worry, you just keep sinning and being you, know, you and all these things. And that, that's not the case in point. Like, like, God is a holy and righteous God. And the fact he had to come to earth to save sinners... Uh, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, the entire crux of this gospel is in verse 21. They shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's what Jesus came to do. Not, not, to, not to sing all these kumbaya things and to, to let everybody just go into lawlessness, but to show God's truth in God's kingdom and, and what to expect you know, in heaven and so on and so forth. And so, just very quickly, because I know this could be something, uh, Jesus is absolutely not telling us to be violent <laughs> in this. Um, that, that is very significant to, to know. I just want to clear that out there. There, there is not violence in, in Jesus. Um, if you go to the end of the Gospel, when Peter cuts the guard's ear with a sword, um, you know, not peace but a sword, Jesus rebukes Peter pretty heavily for using the sword, and then he heals the, the guard's ears. And this is right before they're about to take him to you know, jail him and beat him and crucify him and all these things. So if there was ever a time that Jesus was going to be violent, I would think it would be that time. But our Lord and Savior is not violent and does not you know, constitute or spread violence in, in any capacity. And always make sure that you know, when you're reading the passage and you're reading the Bible, take the context of Jesus' entire ministry, not just one small section. But this is still, you know, a good and, and solid and, and valid point. And so let's look at verse 34 there first. The first sentence. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Um, I want, in order for us to, to understand for today, we need to go back a little bit. Um, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, there's talk about the promised Messiah and what he's going to do. And it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in the beginning of verse 7, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. So, Israel at this time, what you need to know is that they, this, this excites them. 
because they want Jesus to come with a sword, to rule the government, to do, um, you know, to, to usher in God's kingdom and for them to be his people and for him to take care of all their oppressors and, and everything like that and to, to lead them and to rule them well. But that's not what Jesus is saying here in, in the peace. Because they were looking for peace in the governments. Because if you know the Old Testament and Israel's history, there is a lot of exile and deportation, uh, Babylon, Assyria, and, and other nations constantly. Because of Israel's failures, God allowed um, those nations to take them over and to remove them out of Jerusalem and, and, and so on and so forth. And so they're, they're thinking, this is great, like this is, this is good. But um, obviously with the next verses, they kind of change their mind. But this first verse and focusing on peace, like we've heard of shalom, which is the all-encompassing type of peace. But this is not that type of peace either. This specifically, um, the Greek word is peace. It's, it's, the peace with God. Because as sinners and as transgressors against a holy and righteous God, um, there's enmity. You know, we, we are our own little gods against the one true God, if you will. And we're like, who are you to tell me what to do? Like, we, we say that all the time in our regular lives, too. Anytime someone tells us something to do, it's like, well... Who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> Absolutely. And so that specifically you need to know is the type of peace. It's the peace with God. And you see that it says peace to the earth. Okay? So where? Like he's not coming to bring peace to the earth. He's not coming to bring peace between men. Because men just are not peaceful because of their sin and their indwelling and their own personal sense of, of righteousness, if you will. And so that makes it a, a challenge. And so they're looking for that. They were looking for the peace between men. They're looking for the peace between the governments. They're looking for the peace between, um, you know, just that, that shalom, the, the overall sense of well-being in your life, that, that everything is good. Uh, we, as Christians today, might call that the, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding because that happens to us, that regardless of our situations and our circumstances that we may experience in life, uh, there's peace, that, that it's all going to work out, that God loves me, that I'm being sanctified, that someday I will be with him in heaven as well. And so that, that peace of God. But specifically for the context of this passage, you need to know that it is peace with God, what Jesus does to reconcile us back to our Heavenly Father. Um, sword, the very next sentence I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so he's not bringing that, that shalom, that, that all kinds of over-encompassing peace, the peace between men, but he's bringing a sword. He's bringing division. Um, divisions are coming. There will be separation between you and men. Uh, truth divides. And the message of the gospel is indeed offensive to those that do not feel that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And so there's going to be challenges for us as we communicate this good news, and that's exactly what Jesus is getting to the point here, is that he's, there's not going to be this overall peace. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everyone's going to be your friend uh, because the message that I bring you, the truth of who God is, it's going to create a division. It's, it's like a sword. 
It's going to create a division, and you'll see it here in a moment. It even creates division within families. And as much as we don't like that and don't appreciate that, I think all of us can respect it because we've all seen it in our own lives. Um, so, but let's continue. So, so verse 34 um, there, and Jesus came to separate people, his people, from the rest. And so uh, let's look at verses 35 to 36 and, and dig deeper into that, that sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Um, you need to know that that actually, the verse there, Jesus quotes from the prophet Micah at the time because he's talking about uh, future hope and glory uh, in Christ. That's Micah chapter 7, verse 6. Micah only has seven chapters, so they're talking about um, what, what Christ is going to do and then what the end times are going to be like and that there will be division among families and friends and, and everything else that you experience. Now, the reason this was so shocking to the Israelites at this time or the Jews that, that were there and his disciples is that uh, even amidst our, our Western culture here, their culture actually valued family very, very highly. The, the mothers would live with, with their children, mothers-in-laws, fathers-in-laws, big family. Uh, you still typically see a lot of this over in the Middle East or perhaps India, places of that nature. Um, our Western culture is a little different. There's like, you know, two, two different facts. There's the kind of lack of family values, and then there's the, the over over cradling of family values, if you will, where we just want, um, like our, our family means so much to us that, that we will sacrifice anything for them. And, and just the same, like maybe some people are like, good, I, I already don't like my mother and my father and you know, all these other people. Like, th this is great, I can totally follow this. Thank you, Jesus. Like, <laughs> like, like oh my goodness. But, but that is the reality of the lives that we lead is that uh, sometimes mothers and fathers have, have done terrible things to their children too. And so I, I can recount countless stories of, of children that have gone to the military, have sent their money home, and then when they got back from the military, all their money was gone that they had saved. And their parents spent it on a new car. <laughs> and I'm like, really? But it happens. It happens. Because of sin and our egocentric, self-serving nature. So be wary, always, of, of that kind of thing. And so, while this is a big shock to Israel, it may not land with us as a big of a shock, like I said, because we don't necessarily value the family as much. Um, if you go back in, in history, when the Industrial Revolution came, uh, that's when the real beginning of the separation of family happened. Uh, the call to work for wages rather than to be a family that uh, produces or barters or builds up or things of that nature. They all started working in factories and they all started working separate apart from one another so that the family unit was never together to build each other up. They were always separate. And then we still see that today where people are working all kinds of different jobs and things like that and that's just how the culture took off when the call to money came rather than the call of being family. And so we see that, and so it, it is a big deal to them because this is their family. 
and, and this, this is important to them. This is, this is who they love. This is who builds them up. It's kind of like the church family in a sense that, that they build each other up and, and so on and so forth. And just think sword in this instant for them even. Um, the sword's coming because Christ is going to change you, but he's not going to change them. You're, they're, they're living their old life and you have a new life in Christ. You are going to act differently. They might not act differently. You're going to choose differently. They might not choose differently. Your desires are going to change in Christ. Their desires are going to remain the same in Christ. So those closest to you are probably going to be a division when we come to faith in Christ. So, and that is a reality that hits home for all of us. We, we've all seen this kind of separation. And so, um, let's move on to verse 37 here. And the desires are changing in you as you grow in love for Christ. And so, this verse here, um, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So, so that's hard. <laughs> and... Let me see if I can put it this way. Our relationship with Jesus goes deeper than blood because he poured out his blood for us. He is the creator of heaven and earth and everything that's in it. A lot of what we sing in these songs, like before the throne of God and things like that, Kim and I work very well uh, to make sure that you know the overall message is, is portrayed, and you know the Galatians, it's no longer I who live, and and the First Corinthians passage where I've become you know different things. It's not about me; it's about me proclaiming Christ or having Christ be shown through me, and and being the salt and the light and being different. And of course, that's the great problem: is that Christians aren't any different. They say they are, but then they're still you know just doing all the same rotten, evil things that they've been doing. And, and there's no life change. There's no glorifying God in that. And so there's no sanctification. And so let's be honest here in this moment that odds are, <laughs> well, the odds are really high in the favor that we will love our mothers and fathers and our sons and daughters more than Christ many, 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 many different uh, or, or many days, not different, many days more than we actually do Jesus. Like, is it wrong to love your family? Did Jesus say in here that it's wrong to love your family? No, of course not. And in fact, when you look at ministry, the first and most important ministry that I have, even as a pastor, is my own family. Like, I shepherd the flock, but my family is of first importance more than any, anybody else. I'm sorry to tell you all that. I know you, you, know, you wanted to have me on your beck and call, but I already got you know, two girls and a son to do that. So I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, and it's not bad to love your family. Of course not. And in fact, that's what we're called to do. Like, think of the two great commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your strength is added sometimes. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's exactly what, what Jesus is getting at here in getting to these two commandments. And whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
he understands the, the culture and the family system and our brokenness and us finding our identity in the family unit and, and things like that. But I promise you that Jesus is changing this in you, that you will learn to love God. Uh, you will see his glory. You will see his grace. You will see his um, just blessing on, on your life. And, and as you continue to grow in your knowledge of the truth of, of who Jesus is and you find out that he is indeed the way and the truth and the life in all situations and circumstances and matters and that the, the whole planet is, is filled with his glory and things like that, you will learn to love Jesus more and more and more and we will continue to bolster our faith and be done because part of what the Holy Spirit does is convicts us uh, of our sin does not condemn us as the devil will have you say like oh you're just not worthy you're not good enough but he will convict us that hey you know that this is the right way to go about doing these things like God had a plan and if you go about this path then this isn't going to work out for you as well as you had wanted and there could be some repercussions in this so conviction versus condemnation is, is a big deal too and so the two great commandments love the lord your god with all your heart your mind your strength and as we talked about the heart uh in hebrew was, was in essence the epicenter of who you are who you are as a person your entire being um and so love almost needs to be explained a little bit more but we'll keep that We'll keep that very simple and understand in our, our love nature. And so, yes, your desires will change as you grow in your love for Christ, as you grow in love for the Lord when you see his glory and his grace and his mercy and his blessings on your life as he changes your life. And so verse 38 and 39 here, uh, finishing up the very last point, the gospel is indeed good news but it's hard to hear. And so, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Let's just focus on that one here for a second. So Jesus, as we know, goes to the cross. But this is chapter 10 of the gospel. Nowhere has Jesus mentioned cross before. But a cross is not some unidentifiable item to Israel at this time. You must know that, that they absolutely knew what the cross was for. Um, it's a symbol of death, very simply. Um, it's, it's, it's public. It's shameful. You're beaten. You die on it. And you're told to carry this very, very heavy cross, this tree, to the place of your execution at the time. Um, there was a Roman general, I forget his name, um, very early on in, in the culture, but he was killing Jews and he was crucifying them. And all up and down the streets of Jerusalem were crucifixion crosses, 2,000 2, plus, they say, in the antiquities. Um, and that's a lot. And, and, and just to, to see that and, and to know that. So like, Imagine the shock of the Israelites hearing this about their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at this moment. Whoever does not take up his cross, his public shameful death, to be beaten and executed on um, is not worthy of me. Like, like that's a blow to the gut. That's a gigantic blow to the gut. And even then, to us today, in our, again, egocentric, self-centered you know, type of nature, um, that's a blow to us because 
a lot of times people are hearing Jesus is good and all these things are going to happen and it's going to be sunshine and rainbows and, and, and life's going to be great. And wait, no, here's the reality. You know, that, that it's not about you. It was always about God. And it's not about you living, quote unquote, your, your best life now. It's about living for Christ now and then future hope and glory with God in, in heaven, in his kingdom, as his people where there someday will be no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering, and God will be in our midst, and no more darkness. And so many, many, many good things to hear about. And so also, in our human culture, you have to know this too, that we abuse that. Like, oh, this is my cross to bear. Um, I could say that about my disease in itself. I am a diabetic. It's my cross to bear. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not a disease. It's not a, a, a problem with your family. It's not a lack of money is your cross to bear. Suffering is not your cross to bear. Your life is your cross to bear. The entire being of who you are is your cross to bear. Or perhaps your entire identity of who you are is your cross to bear. Perhaps I could say it this way too. It's your worldview is your cross to bear. Or your self-worth as a human being is your cross to bear. So there's a lot of ways to, to go about and kind of describing this, but I want you to know that it is the all-encompassing every portion of who you are, which is why God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, which already is the epicenter, with your mind, with your soul, and with your strength. Everything. It's everything of who you are. You no longer live for yourself to gratify the desires of the flesh. You live for Christ. And to glorify him and his name. Because even though we're sinners, we're saved sinners at this point. And there is a change in us. And there is a lifestyle change. And, and things will change. Now granted, you know, it's not all-encompassing. Not all your sins are going to go away. There's always going to be a struggle in the flesh. There's always going to be temptation in our lives. Always. It never fails. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's constantly looking for people to, to upset and to get and knock off God's path. Um, but praise be to God that, that the sheep know his name and, and you know, no one will snatch them out of his hand. Um, yes, so... Suffering is not your cross. Your entire being, your entire identity, your entire worldview, your entire self-worth. And then this last verse. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, this is a, a very interesting paradox that Jesus has, has played for us. If we find our life and our self-worth and our identity in this world, Jesus promises that we will lose it, that something will come, something will happen, and your identity and your meaning and your self-worth is going to be shattered. But whoever loses his life for the sake of Christ will find it. So it's an interesting paradox, like I said, because we're like, well, we're here now, but what's our overall purpose? 
If you remember, we talked uh, briefly about Ecclesiastes last week and vanity of vanities and all striving after wind. And we talked about uh, knowledge of God and knowledge of man and finding a purpose and finding meaning and finding a value in, in life. And without the existence of a creator, we come from a point of meaninglessness and we go to a point of meaninglessness. And everything in between, in essence, is just meaninglessness. Now, God has given us a purpose. He's given us a design. He's given us a reason for living and, and things of that nature. And that's, in essence, what Jesus is talking about in, in this moment. Like, if you're going to be so worldly and you're going to find your identity in the world, understand that it's going to fall away. Um, you know, my past life was a salesman. I worked for Fortune 500 companies. I worked for Fortune 200 companies. I was very successful, made a lot of money, got a lot of plaques and awards. But in the end, it was all meaninglessness because I was constantly chasing. I was putting down, you know, other people. I was, you know, ignoring my family. I was doing all these different things. But at the same time, um, I was chasing after, you know, money and fame and fortune and, and power and prestige and acknowledgement and criteria. Like, it, the list goes on and on of things that I was chasing. But the second I left any of those companies in which I, I had, you know, won all those accolades, then I was kind of back at square one, right? Like, what, what's kind of the, the point and the meaning of the purpose? So I'd have to start all over and I'd start in a new company and I'd work my way up and I'd do all these you know, things and, 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 and achieve the goals that I wanted to achieve or what I thought I wanted to achieve is my meaning for life and my purpose for living. But they all came up short. And every time I switched jobs, they all left me just the same. Like, like I have a closet full of plaques that mean nothing. <laughs> they meant something at that moment in time. Don't get me wrong. But now, what does it do for me? It doesn't do anything for me. And that's kind of the vanity and the striving after wind that, that we're talking about here. And if you're finding your life and your meaning and your purpose and all these things in the world itself, well, you're going to lose it. Like, I, I lost it like every couple of years when I changed my job, you know, things like that. Like, you know, how, how long do cars last? Like, how long do material possessions last? You have your identity in those as long as they last, and then when they go away, then it's gone. Or, you know, people. People do come and people go. Like, his mercies are new every day, and you are not promised tomorrow. I, I have known uh, a couples where they've gone out to dinner, had a fabulous time, um, danced, you know, hung out with friends, this, that, and the other. They go to bed. The husband died from a heart attack in the middle of the night. What's up? Like, and if your identity is wrapped up in that and your other person too, like, it can be just ripped apart from you. Like, that's the reality of the world that we live in, right? Like, that's the truth of the matter is that you're not promised tomorrow. His mercies indeed are new every day. But, but things can happen. You can, you can drive home from church today and be in a terrible car accident. No fault of your own. None whatsoever. And, and poof. It's gone. Like, worlds have changed and collided. You know, just the same as when I told that story about my friends and, you know, going to that wedding. Like, man, what a joyous day for that father that his daughter's getting married and, and, and going away. But what a tragedy at that same time that while one daughter is going and living a new life and, and you know, the, the two became one, the other daughter died in a terrible car accident because of foolish drinking. And it's like, man, 
like, it's a hard world, right? Like, you're not promised anything. And so just we need to be super careful in, in this and, and where we find our lives and where we find our identity, which is why finding your identity in Christ is indeed the only secure identity that we can have as Christians and human beings. As a son and daughter of the Lord Most High, like, no one can take that away from you. He is eternal while we are finite, okay? Like, like forever lasting versus maybe 70 years lasting. Maybe, if you're lucky. I mean, I, when I was in high school, I had friends that died because they decided to jump off of a moving train. It's it just, you never know, man. You just never know. Don't ever forget that. And so I want to put this in, in, in your head. Like, your job, your car, your stuff, your money, your time, your health, the way people think about you, your relationships with others. What is your life? What is your life? What is your purpose for living? If it's not for Christ, what is your life? Think about it. It's, it, it, it's a big deal. What, what are you living for? What, what again, is, is, is your life? And think about this, too. And especially as, as Jesus puts this, okay? And I'm going to say it really slow. And I really want it to sink in. If Jesus is God... And he died for me, then surely there is no sacrifice I can make that would be too great for him. Right? If Jesus is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice I make would be too great for him. Amen indeed, sir. Amen indeed. Um, and that's why we see Paul saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And we see that out of the apostles. And we see how Jesus changed their lives. That they went and they, like Peter was crucified upside down. Like even worse than a regular crucifixion, I would think. Dying upside down on the cross. And, and you think about the beheadings and you know, John the Baptist, what happened to him and, and all the apostles and, and Matthew dying in, in faraway countries and, and doubting Thomas that even while he was there and you know, went to, to like India and other parts to, to proclaim the word of the Lord because Jesus is God and he did die for me. Therefore, no sacrifice that I make in my life would be too great for him. Amen. And so, just to wrap this all up for you again one more time, um, Jesus in this passage says that his gospel and the message of the truth of the kingdom of God 
will be divisive. It will be divisive, and it is divisive, and we know that it's divisive. This isn't some, some shock. Praise be to God that we live in this time where we have the New Testament and the canon of Scripture in its fullness that, that we see you know, what's going on and where this is going and, and things of that nature. It will separate people. It will cost you your identity in this world to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Like, what is a Christian? A Christian is a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we go back to Matthew chapter 4 when he, he calls James and, and, and John uh, the, the, the first ones, and uh, yeah, what did they do? They followed Jesus. And then Jesus discipled them. So a true Christian in its very simplest form is a follower and disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, but Jesus also said in this, when you see at the end and, and, and where the gospel is too, it will also lead to new life and a relationship with him. So we look at this and we see things like, uh, you know, it kind of always rings a little bell. I have come to set a man against his father. Isn't that kind of what Jesus did in a sense? Like, like, let's not go crazy here, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? when Jesus was on the cross, right? A man against his father to do his will, and, and Jesus paid it all. And we're going to sing that in a minute. But um, at that same token, like, Christ died for us for some reason unbeknownst to me. <laughs> uh, I wish I knew. Like, this, this is definitely grace. This is unmerited favor. This is nothing that I've done to deserve this. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. God just regenerate and, and, and revealed and repented and my faith has continued to be been growing in him for years and years and years and years because of studying in his word and being around God's people and things like that so so Jesus died for our sins but here's also uh, grace and gospel that you need to know in a big fancy gospel word which is a pretty common word adoption we are adopted into the family of God and that is a huge blessing. So whereas we might have family struggles in our bloodlines, which, which is pretty normal, uh, I should tell you too that my brother hates me because of what I do and who I stand for. Um, but there's going to be division in that bloodline. But God adopts us into his kingdom. And I have to tell you honestly, like, um, I love God's people, the ones that I've met. I've been part of a big group and a big mission, and, and we've had missionaries come up from uh, you know, a couple different states and things like that. And even within our own church body, like um, if we were to go to Ephesians, like, like older, older sisters in the Lord are, are like mothers to me, in a sense. And, and I appreciate what they have to say and their words and their comments and their, their loving and their caring. Uh, older brothers in the Lord, uh, very much like fathers to me, right? Like, like they offer insight and wisdom on, on, on what they've done in their lives and they'll share their walk with the Lord with me and, you know, other things like that, like depending on the struggles and the trials that we have. And then, of course, there's the peers where you're like that. And then there's younger brothers and sisters in the Lord, too, where uh, it's just kind of fun because they're so excited. They, they've got so much life in them and, and, and going. And, and 
being a part of the family of God is, is an entirely beautiful thing. And I love the gospel for that and what Jesus has done for us. Because, yeah, regular family is not so easy all the time. It's not saying that church family is easy either. But regardless of our different you know, social economic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, our upbringings or things like that, like we stand on the common ground that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everything else just kind of follows along and goes into suit after that. And it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing being part of his church and his family. And that's, you know, two series from now is when we talk about the church and, and the glories of the church and what God's done in the church. Um, but for now, that's just a little taste of, of what the gospel's done and, and part of our reconciliation and part of our peace with God that we can stand and that we can know that we are loved and that we are worth something and that you know our identity can't be stripped from us but again this is a command this is a law it's really hard to follow obviously grace needs to be involved learning to love Jesus and sanctification by the Holy Spirit but praise be to God that we even have this opportunity to know our Creator because if he had just let us be and didn't want to have a relationship with us, he'd be totally justified and, and fine to do so. But again, praise be to God that he allows us into this right and real relationship with him, that we could know him, that we could love him, that we could have meaning and purpose in our lives, that you know, being born isn't meaningless and dying isn't meaningless and everything in between be meaningless too. It's not all vanity and striving after wind. It's all... Glory to God in the highest, because holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you for all your grace that you've shown us in our lives, your mercy, uh, your, your peace, and your patience with us, and, and your gospel, Lord, that you would restore us to a right and real relationship with you. And so, uh, Lord, just continue to sanctify us, continue to cause us to think um, about who we are and what we're living for and what our life is, but allow us and show us, Lord, uh, our life in you and who we are in light of who you are and, and how we can be a blessing to uh, others as we continue to glorify your name as is our greatest desire. It's not a law that we have to do this, it's a want that we want to do this for you, Lord, because we indeed have tasted and seen that you're good, and we love you for what you've done. All this I pray in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen.